Welcome back to Women in STEM. Today I have with me Dr. Sapna Cherian. She's an associate professor of social psychology at the University of Washington. Her research is about the role of cultural stereotypes in causing and perpetrating racial and gender disparities in the U.S. society. It's an honor having you here today. Thank you so much for coming in. Before we start, I would like to ask you a little bit more about your journey through your research in this field. Mm-hmm. Sounds great. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. So what exactly led you to social psychology in the first place? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I always thought I would go into some kind of science or maybe math. And I'd taken a lot of science and math in high school, kind of where I saw myself. But then I, I always had this interest in diversity, especially race and also gender. All the books I would read would be diversity related, the novels and things like that. And things I would talk about and think about were all diversity related. When I got to college, I knew I wanted to be a psychology major. I thought I would do more like the neuro side of it because mm-hmm. I had this science background. So I started taking like science classes and psychology classes. And then I picked up a second major, which was American studies. And that was kind of to fulfill my interest in diversity and race. So I kind of thought, okay, I'll be a neuroscientist or something like that. But I will just, you know, I'll just learn about this diversity stuff on the side. It wasn't until my junior year when I took social psychology and I realized that there's a field where you can be a scientist, like use a scientific method, but you could study diversity like race and gender. And so that was just a perfect blend of the content that I wanted to be studying, but the methods I wanted to be using. And so that's how I knew that that was what I wanted to do. Wow, that's really interesting. So you went on like a whole path to finally get to where you are right now. Yeah, but it was a useful one because I still draw on my science training and the math classes that I took are really helpful with statistical analyses. And then having taken a lot of history classes and kind of spent a lot of time writing, that is obviously going to be very useful when I'm writing publications and also thinking about how to theorize about race and gender in a not in an in an ahistorical way. So thinking mm-hmm. about how history influences us. So I'm really glad I took that kind of broad path uh, to get me here because I feel like I draw on those skills pretty much every day. That's awesome. So can you talk a little bit more about your research specifically when it comes to gender and STEM? Yeah, um, so I am basically interested in the question of why women are underrepresented in some STEM fields, in particular computer science is the the field I've studied the most, but also physics and engineering. And it's a very interesting problem to me because there are a lot of other STEM fields like biology, chemistry, and math where women are not as underrepresented. They're getting about half the degrees in those fields and even more than half in biology. And so it's been this puzzle for me. What is it about, especially computer science, this field that's so important to our society and in many ways people are designing the every, every aspect of society is somehow touched by computer scientists, it seems like today. And women are just not at the table to make their contributions to those designs. And And I I always had this wonder whether the problem with computer science in terms of why there's not women in it is something social. It's not really something about the field itself, but it's something about the social environment of the field and the stereotypes that people have of the field. So I I kind of just gravitated towards maybe because I had this (laughs) science-y background and I had had these experiences in my own high school where we all had mandatory computer science, and I remember not even considering going into computer science as a major, even though I did well in that class. And I thought it was fun to program. But I remember later when I went to college in the 90s, so that was kind of the start of the dot-com boom. And I remember everybody, meaning the men, my male friends in college, were getting these computer science jobs. And I didn't even consider it. It wasn't until my senior year where I was like, why did I not even consider doing programming? And at that point, I'd already decided to do a PhD in psychology. And so I, I, when I got to grad school, that became kind of an interesting question in the back of my mind about what is it about computer science that's different than these other STEM fields and 
if we could figure that out, can we change it and can we get more women into it? That's really interesting. So from your research, what's probably the most interesting thing that you found? That's a hard question, but um, <laughs> I'll tell you what I think other people think is the most interesting thing I found. The finding that I think gets attached to me the most or the one that people remember about my work the most is that computer science stereotypes. So these are assumptions or perceptions that a lot of people and especially a lot of students have of who computer scientists are and what they do. These are stereotypes like socially awkward, geeky, very obsessed with computers, been programming since they're a young age. And it's important to point out that these are stereotypes. So the reality of computer science is it's a very diverse field with a lot of different types of people, but students don't seem to have that as the first image that pops into the mind. The first image that pops into the mind is very similar to a lot of the representations that we see in the media, like Big Bang Theory or Silicon Valley, the show, or um, when I was growing up, Real Genius uh, or Revenge of the Nerds. Like Those are the kinds of images that students have in their head of computer science. And it's those images that I found end up influencing many girls to feel like they don't belong in the field. And I think the finding itself that people attach as the one that's the most interesting is that you can change these stereotypes by changing the way that computer science environments look. So we've done a bunch of studies that show that when you take a computer science classroom or a computer science company and it resembles the stereotypical image of what students think a computer science company or a computer science classroom would look like. So that means things like Star Trek posters and soda cans and stray electronic parts that women will express less interest in computer science than men. But if you can change that environment, you take the same environment and you basically redecorate it, you change, take out all the stuff and you put in things like art posters and plants and you make it basically look, um, we weren't going for feminine, but we were kind of going for gender neutral or kind of professional or neutral, something like that, that women's interest in computer science can increase um, without dissuading men. So it's the power of, of these assumed social environments to influence the career choices and the choice of majors that students are making. And has that been the case? Like, has that actually worked? Have women actually been more involved? Yeah, so what we do is, because I'm a laboratory researcher, so we bring students into our lab or we bring them into a study in some way and we say, here's a company, here's some photos of the company, how interested would you be in working in this company versus here's another company, here's some photos of this other company, how interested would you be working there? So we get it on hypothetical interest and we also get it on, we've changed the way that a computer science classroom actually looks and we'll get it on interest in the study. So how interested are you in being a computer science major? What we've never done is try to take a person's perceptions and, you know, like follow them around and try to get them to change how they see computer science somehow outside of a study, you know, and see if they actually major in something else. But all indications from the research are that, yeah, it would make a difference if we could change the cultural image of computer science we could change who's interested in the field. That's really cool. Is that the next step that you're going to be taking then? Um, so the next step is actually, so this is the questions that I've been investigating so far have been about how do we get more women and girls interested in computer science and engineering? Because right now the problem is really one of, of interest. Women and girls express less interest in computer science and engineering all throughout school than boys do. And trying to get more women and girls in means that we have to get them more interested. And some people would say, well, women and girls are just not interested. They're, you know, inherently not interested. And I would argue strongly against that because we know from lots of research, including the research I just talked about, that if you change the social environment, you change people's interest. And you can see the same thing happen for men. If you make a field suddenly gets more, if it suddenly gets more feminine in stereotypes, then men start losing interest as well. So the stereotypes of a field are very important. And before we conclude that women are not interested, we have to try to change the social environment and see if that actually increases their interest. So my work to date has been on recruiting. What I'm turning to now is, I mean, I'm still interested in recruiting and I have some more studies that have to do with culture and things like that. But the thing that I'm getting more interested in is also 
the what do you do once girls and women get in the door. So there's lots of programs like UW is a great example of their computer science department has done a really good job of getting more women into the major and graduating them. But then the women go out and get jobs. And we know from a lot of stuff that's been happening in the last couple of years in tech that it's not exactly perfect culture for women. And there's places that are great, but there's still places that have problems. And what I'm turning to now is trying to investigate how do we actually think about not just the stereotypes of computer scientists, but the culture of the field as a whole. And, and in particular, can we figure out where the good cultures are for women, which companies have good cultures, or which teams within companies have good cultures, or departments have good cultures? Can we figure out a way to, to quantify culture, which is hard to say if you study culture, because culture is amorphous and hard to quantify. But I think it's going to be important for us to be able to measure, find some way to measure which places have good cultures and which places don't. And then what can we learn from those places that we can try to share with the places that are trying to improve their cultures for women. And hopefully if we can figure out how to make the field more welcoming, then when women, when universities do the hard work of getting women in the field, the women will also feel like they want to stay after they get out. So I'm really turning to cultural change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So just like backtracking a little bit to mm -hmm. like the dependent variable you're talking about, which is like social factors and mm -hmm. like culture, for example. I remember reading in your research that you had like many theories put forward to explain women's underrepresentation mm -hmm. from like innate female inferiority in like quantitative skills to unwillingness by women to sacrifice family time. Mm -hmm. So what about these factors? Like, what are your thoughts about this? Yeah, those are good questions. So stereotypes are definitely not the only reason that um, women are underrepresented in STEM. It's a complicated problem with a lot of explanations. And if it was just one simple explanation, we would have figured that out and solved it by now. So yeah. it's, it's this confluence of many different factors, including like who has access to computing, what teachers are doing, what's happening in K through 12 education in terms of who gets to take computer science. And so there's a whole bunch of factors. The ones that you specifically mentioned there, so some kind of innate inferiority or women being bad at math, for example, that's one that I don't endorse at all. I know there's like every couple of years, there's like a new person who comes out and says something about women's innate inferiority. And then there's a whole backlash and people write a whole bunch of things. And, you know, I don't see why women would be doing just as well in math as men, but somehow have an innate <laughs> um, lack of ability in computer science. It doesn't make any sense to me. And there are no more gender gaps in math performance. And women, in fact, outperform men a lot of times in their math grades. So yeah, so that one just doesn't hold any water for me. And I've written about that. So if your listeners are interested in there's counter arguments, I've tried to address all those. For example, one counter argument is, well, if you look at the top scores, more men are in the top scores than women. And so I've tried to address all these arguments. And, and I think by and large, the research community, even the ones who are seen as more conservative on the gender and STEM stuff still come down on there's really no evidence for women being worse at math than men. Um, the second one, the work family one, that one I think does matter. And I think it especially matters for the work I'm doing now, which is once you get women in the field, how do you get them to stay? Because I think once people have children, things can really change. Having a workplace environment that supports families is very important. However, I will say the research is pretty interesting. If you look at whether high school students or college students are, are picking their major based on whether they can have children and have a good life and things like that, the research is actually does not support that. So it's not that high school girls are being like, okay, let me think about the fields in which I will be able to have a family. I mean, I'm sure some are, but in general, it's, it doesn't seem to be the case that more girls are doing that than boys. Boys might also care about not working too many hours for family reasons or other reasons. I think we see this most powerfully when we think about medicine. Medicine is a great example of a field that you probably would not pick if you were interested in 
having children and um, and staying home with them or having a lot of hours with them or having a flexible job. But we see that women are now 50% of um, med school graduates and are picking all kinds of intense careers that kind of go against that idea. So, And computer science is many times a family-friendly field. You know, we see that it can be flexible. It can be something that you can do right out of college. So you don't have to spend, for example... 15 years in med school residency and fellowship to be able to start your careers. So I think that the work-family conflict thing just doesn't seem to make sense to me with all the evidence that we have about the choices that women are making. Oh, wow. That's a lot. Yeah, that's that's really good that you were able to like get all those results and then Mm -hmm. put those together. Because Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of our listeners get all these like opinions, but we don't have like facts to back it up. Yeah. But you seem to have that. So that's really good. Yeah. That's the nice thing about research is you might come in with a certain idea and then you do the, you do the reading and you do your own work and you leave with a totally different idea. And yeah. you were like, well, my job is to tell people what I learned because they might have that same idea I had before. Mm-hmm. So I just had a question in regards to like with school and stuff. Mm-hmm. Why do you think like some STEM fields like bio or chem have been more successful in incorporating women than other fields like CS and like physics, for example? So we published a paper on that exact question this year. And what we found is so we did a we read like, I think over a thousand papers, something really a lot. Um, and we we tried to look at the answer to that question. Nobody's exactly studied that exact question, but we were able to piece together research that's been done on women in biology and gender disparities and all these other fields and then look at the factors that that predict gender disparities and also the ones that cause gender disparities so people who've done actual experiments to to vary these factors to figure out what's causal which is very important um, because you can even if something correlates with your gender disparity or end outcome it doesn't mean that that thing is a cause of it so trying to get cause down is really important to this paper and what we concluded is there's really two when two things are present you end up getting a field with gender disparities um, and those two things are perceptions of a mass what we call a masculine culture so that's a culture that signals to men that they belong there more than it signals to women that they belong there that and that signals those signals can come from stereotypes, like stereotypes that women are not good at the field or stereotypes that you have to be in some way male or masculine or like things that boys and men like to be in the field. Um, And it can also come from just not seeing women in the field that could perpetuate a feeling that the field is not welcoming to women. So when a field has a masculine culture plus little early experience, so um, students are not getting K through 12 experience, then we end up seeing gender disparity. So both of those things, the masculine culture and insufficient early STEM, happen with computer science, with engineering, and with physics. With biology and chemistry, the culture used to be masculine. I mean, it used to be that there were very few women in those fields before the 70s when the percentages started increasing. But now the cultures have become less masculine. So people don't have these strong stereotypes that you have to you know, for example, have been obsessed with the biology since you were a little kid or that um, you need to be socially awkward or anything like that to be in these fields. They're still seen as a little bit masculine, but they're not to the same extent as physics and computer science and engineering. But even more importantly is that these fields, biology and chemistry and math, are taught in K-12 education. And most students in the U.S. end up taking at least one class in those fields. And in the case of math and biology, usually more. In the case of math, usually like 10 classes in those fields. And I think that's made a real difference. I think math is an excellent example of a field that would have been very masculine in its 
in the number per, like in the percentage that women of women it graduates and the stereotypes that women can't do it and things like that those things are all still present but the fact that women are getting 45% of degrees in math i think can be explained by the fact that everybody takes math and math is mandatory and what ends up happening is girls take math with not only boys, but they take it with girls. They see themselves doing well in it because they're doing just as well as the boys. They see other girls doing well in it. They get to meet teachers that they relate to. And they develop a sense that, hey, they can do it despite these stereotypes. With computer science, all they have to go on a lot of times are the stereotypes. Like, if, how else are you going to make a decision based about a field if you have no experience with it? You're going to use your perceptions of what the field is like. And your perceptions a lot of times are based on the media or what you hear from your friends. And so I think early education in these other fields can go a long way to reducing gender disparities. However, I will say, this is important, that it can't just be any old early education. It has to be taught in a really good way. If the, if the early experiences end up reinforcing the masculine culture, if they end up signaling to girls that they don't actually belong in the field, which is actually what happened with my high school computer science class, it was a great class, but there was nothing in that class that told me that I should pursue computer science. There was no there was no encouragement by the teacher. The teacher used jokes that the boys related to more than the girls. Like he I remember he used to use a lot of Star Trek jokes. And the the kind of word on the ground from the girls is it's a really hard class. Don't even try. You're not going to do well. And we and the only people who do well in the in the class are the the RPG guys, which in my school, the role-playing game guys. And so that was a stereotype that the girls perpetuated. And I'm sure the boys somehow probably didn't try to dissuade us from that. They didn't show us that they were actually not getting A's in the class. And we only found out much later in life that the girls were doing much better than the boys in that class. But nobody ever told us that. And so anyway, so it has to be taught well. And I think it has to be taught more than once because one exposure, you know, you might not have, might not relate to the person um, who's teaching that class, or there might be certain people who have had programming experience who dominate the class. But, but I think if you can give girls lots of opportunities to learn computer science and do it in a place where they see themselves being successful and they see that they're being as successful as the boys, then I think that can help reduce the disparities. Yeah, I never even had a CS class until like college. And I still technically haven't had a CS class because I'm yeah. not taking CS 142 yeah. or 143. Yeah. So like I have no experience at all in it. But I That's hear, typical. Yeah. yeah. And I hear so much about like, oh, like, why don't you take any CS classes? I'm like, not in my major <laughs> like yeah, so it's like yeah. there's no time to like fit it in the schedule yeah but yeah just relating back to your thing about perception mm -hmm. so in terms of like environment media like role models what can like what about those three things can help people understand gender stereotypes in stem better because i feel like in our generation a lot of people are influenced by you know role models mm -hmm. and the media and like the people around them so like what do you think people can do to help decrease this the stereotype that exist. You know, there's this gap between this perceptions that students have and the reality of the field. And I know this because I ask, like, describe, I won't even say, tell me about the stereotypes. I'll just say, describe computer science majors. And I'll do it both as part of research. I'll have them write their answers, but I'll also do it when I give talks and I'll go give talks to high school students. And I'll just say, tell me what you think of when you think of computer science majors. And, and there's no reluctance to just say or write down these very highly stereotyped descriptions that are clearly not accurate. They cannot describe all computer science majors or even the majority. They'll say things like, don't frequently take showers and, you know, like just, just really horrendous and extreme <laughs> characterizations of what computer scientists are like. And so to me, what that signals is that they are not exposed to the reality of computer science. And I think that very powerful interventions for computer science would be to expose them to, rea to the reality. So, and I know um, UWCSC does a good job of this, but bringing students into the building, showing them what computer science is actually about, showing them real computer scientists, people that they 
can relate to in some way. And, you know, I think on a bigger scale, like making changes to the media to show computer scientists, not just as these like kind of lovable geeks, (laughs) but also as just like people like everybody else, you know, um, that people that a lot of other people can relate to. And then I think the the last thing is what I'm working on now, which is really addressing the cultural problems that exist in some pockets of computer science and some pockets of tech in some companies or some teams within companies, making sure that we make the those spaces welcoming to women and not just like on the surface, but like really actually welcoming. We don't just want to change the posters. We want to make sure the whole culture is welcoming to women because the way these things work is that the reason that these environmental cues can be so powerful is because people are inferring what the culture is like underneath. And so when they see things like Star Trek posters and soda cans stacked up in a pyramid, they're thinking to themselves, okay, this culture is going to be like a bunch of probably guys who like science fiction and who um, are really into programming and are aren't super social and and that's not a place you know that might not be bad but that's not necessarily a place where I feel like I want to spend like 50 hours a week you know working and and so we have to make sure that we make sure that the culture underneath is also signals to women that they would belong there as much as men why do you want to spend so much time in a place that you don't feel totally welcome in it wouldn't make sense from a psychological perspective at all when you could choose a different field where you feel like you would feel welcome and so really addressing those Harder to address, but important, deeper cultural issues that are present in a lot of fields, not just computer science. They're there in my own field as well. But uh, but I think the unique thing about computer science is that students have this very strong perception that it's less welcoming than it actually is. And I think addressing those perceptions are um, going to be really important. Yeah. And this is both in like school and in workplaces too, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. For sure. So as we reach like towards the end of our podcast, I wanted to let the listeners know what your opinion is specifically on gender stereotypes and why they exist in the first place, and also what you hope for your research and your study and the work that you're doing can do for the future for women and stuff. Yeah, well, you know, gender is what what's known as like kind of a fundamental social organizing category in in the way psychologists would think about it. So people group people based on gender very easily, regularly. It's a category that's very important to our life, to our social life. And when we start to group people into categories, we start to develop ideas about how different people differ in different categories. And, you know, the world was basically made by men. <laughs> that's like a reality of of um, of history. And um, men were given the power. They were given or granted or took or whatever the power to create um, our rules, our norms, our institutions. And, and, you know, a lot of the things, the things on the ground, the way that we interact with each other, the, those things, the way that, that we do things a lot of ways are based on this kind of underlying idea that the masculine or the male way is, is the right way. And, and because of that, the traits that are associated more with women and these traits are often associated with caregiving, which is why I think there's work showing that men and women have historically taken on different roles with women doing more of the caregiving. And so because of that, women end up getting stereotyped as as more relational, better nurturers, you know, more concerned with others, more empathetic. And men get stereotyped as more what's known as agentic, um, more independent, more having more status and being concerned with like income and things like that. Those stereotypes originate out of the different roles that women and men have had historically. And because men have had all the power in society, the male traits and the male roles end up becoming valued a lot of times more than the female traits. It's not to say that we don't think relationality and caregiving and stuff is important, but we obviously don't pay that <laughs> pay much as much for those things as we do for the more agentic, um, independent, 
income-oriented types of careers. And um, anyway, so the, then gender stereotypes, when they, once they get created in society, they end up, people end up internalizing them and they end up acting in a way that reinforces them because they get punished if they don't. So if a woman is not relational and not warm, she gets more punished than a man who's not relational and not warm. So you end up reinforcing those um, exact same stereotypes and people end up internalizing them and feeling like not, you know, they're important parts of their identity to be those, to have those kinds of stereotypes. And that's kind of how they perpetuate. And, you know, different, I have, <laughs> this is probably not a good last question because I'm like, I could lecture about this forever, but um, different people have different ideas about whether, you know, in, in Western feminism, we think men and women are exactly the same. Like men and women, women can do everything that men can do. And that's a leg that's totally legitimate. And that's, you know, that's why we're fighting for pay equality. That's a very important view. But in other versions of feminism, people will say, well, actually, what we should do is we should value the caregiving sphere more, you know, so we shouldn't just um, say women are exactly the same, but we should say, okay, we have these wide differences in society that exist between different people. Some people are more in relational jobs, and some people are more, but really, we need to value those things equally. And that's kind of a different perspective on uh, gender stereotypes, I would say, than, um, than, traditional, let's just get rid of gender stereotypes. So I think it's a little bit more complicated than like, let's just totally eliminate all gender stereotypes. And that would be very difficult to do in our society. But I do think, you know, once you're aware of stereotypes, you can make sure that you implement things in your life so that you don't stereotype people and that you make sure that you're valuing things in people that not just valuing them because they're associated with men, but valuing things in people that are also traditionally associated with women. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, the paper I'm working on right now is basically, I just basically summarized it by talking about that in some way. Um, but yeah, I'm really interested in kind of unveiling this, um, what we're calling a masculine default bias that our society is by default values masculinity more than, the, than it values femininity. And that when we think about bias, we, we can't just think about how women are paid less or sexually harassed. I mean, those things are obviously very important. We need to take care of those, but we can't let that be the sole focus. We also need to focus on the fact that when we're in academia or in industry or in many parts of our life where we where we get paid the way, the right way to be, and I'm doing quotes, but the right way to be is a masculine way. It's to be confident. It's to be assertive. It's to be independent. You know, these are all things that we value as things that seem good and smart and right. And these are also not coincidentally masculine traits. So yeah, just trying to make sure that we know that we need to change our culture so that we don't just value those traits, but that we balance the culture out by valuing feminine traits. Thank you. It was really great talking to you and learning all these facts. I think our listeners are going to benefit from this a lot. Thank you so much for coming in and see you guys in two weeks. Thanks for having me. Ever wondered what junk food is like in other places? My name is Dee Dee Madigan, host of the weekly podcast Home Plates, where I ask that question and many more. Each week, an international student joins me here in the studio to discuss their food culture. Don't miss new episodes every Wednesday right here on the Soundbite Network. For more like this and other great shows covering sports, science, relationships, and the arts, visit the Soundbites website, uwpodcast.com. That's uwpodcast.com.